Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 31st of October 2021, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, How the Bible Presents the Church, the Righteousness of God. So I wonder, what is your experience, your personal experience of being chosen? Or perhaps not being chosen? I don't know whether this still happens, but when I was at school and we were playing football or some game like that, the PE teacher would generally get us all lined up and would pick a couple of people to be captains. And those two people then had to make their choices of people to be on their side. And they made their choices one at a time and it went back and forth. And first of all, they would tend to choose the people who were very obviously good at sport or that particular sport. And then they would tend to choose their friends and they would go on making their choices and the line of people being chosen got smaller and smaller. And as that line of children standing there in their PE kits got smaller and smaller, everyone there knew that at some point fairly soon there will be someone who would face the ignominy of having to play for one of those sides because no one had chosen them. Now, were you that child? Were you ever that child? Because I was. I was there in that line, getting smaller and smaller, being the last one to be chosen on a number of occasions. Okay, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? There should be laws against that sort of thing. But if you were that child in that line, and as I say, I was on a number of occasions, because I might love cricket, but I wasn't particularly good at that or any other sport, hopefully you've got other experiences, more positive ones, of being chosen to go with it. So perhaps you've been chosen at some point for a particular job or a particular task and you know what it's like to be chosen in that way. Perhaps you've been chosen, not everyone has, but perhaps you've been chosen as the person that someone else wanted to marry. Perhaps you've been chosen for a particular job of some kind. You've had a competitive interview and you've been the one chosen for that job. We might think that not being chosen is the most negative, but being chosen can sometimes be rather daunting, can't it? Being chosen carries a weight of responsibility very often. It carries a weight of expectation. We might be chosen and quietly, or maybe loudly, feel that we're not really up to it. And the Bible is quite clear, really, that Christians, the church, are chosen by God. It might feel like belonging to the church is a choice on our part, to some degree that's true, but the most fundamental choice when someone becomes a Christian, when someone joins the church, according to the Bible, has been made by God himself. God, according to the Bible, calls people to belong to him, and that happens because he's chosen them. And here on the screen is one of the passages that states this most clearly, uh, David read uh, it to us earlier but it comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Here's part of uh, verse 11. In him we were also chosen, Paul says, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. But this immediately creates a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Talk of Christians being chosen, let alone predestined by God, immediately can look God, make God look rather unfair. And there have been periods in Christian history when this has been used to divide humanity into two very clear groups. The elect, 
those chosen by God or predestined by God for salvation on the one hand, and on the other, the reprobate, those chosen by God for damnation. And Calvinism, particularly in the way it was developed by the followers of John Calvin, if not by Calvin himself, was so anxious to preserve God's sovereignty that it took this line. In fact, it made it fundamental to Christian orthodoxy. You had to believe in what was known as double predestination, that God chose some for salvation without those people really having anything to do with it at all, and likewise, logically, he therefore chose some for damnation. And to those Christians who said that this was unfair, Christians called Arminians after their, fa- their founder, Jacob Arminius, Calvinist Christians would have a very simple answer. They would say, well, who are you to question God? God can choose and he cannot choose whoever he wants. So what is the answer? How are we to understand those passages in the Bible that speak very clearly of the church being chosen by God? There is an answer, and I think a very convincing one, one that I believe the Bible firmly supports. And that is to affirm that Christians are indeed chosen by God, but for responsibility rather than privilege. Because just look at how that passage from Ephesians continues. The bit in white is the bit after that. If we go on to the next slide. The bit in white is the bit that we saw earlier, the bit in yellow, what follows. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Why? Well, it tells us. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Why does God need people to be for the praise of his glory? It's so that we can be a witness of that glory to the rest of the world. Because God wants those of us who are in the church to be the first that belong to him, but not the last. And the way in which this happens is made clear in that passage that David also read from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Here's the whole passage, and there'll be certain bits coming up in yellow as I refer to them. It's a passage that speaks of those who are chosen being ambassadors of God's new creation. And it also speaks of those same people being entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. You see, the whole story of the Bible is the story of God's commitment to put the world right. How? Through the coming of his new creation. And the word that the Bible uses for God's commitment to do this is God's righteousness, God's commitment to bringing his covenant justice to the world. The world as we experience it still has that stamp of original goodness that God gave it in creation, but it is heavily spoilt and defaced by sin, isn't it? And therefore this world is cut off from God. Not just people cut off from God, but creation itself. That's why there are so many problems with it. It's all tied up with human sin. But God has begun the process of reconciling the world to him. Firstly, by reconciling the church to him through Jesus Christ, and then through giving that same church, those same forgiven sinners within the church, the ministry of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says at the start of this passage, if anyone's a Christian, 
new creation has happened. It's occurred there within their lives. And it's on that basis that those people become the ambassadors of that new creation. And they become agents of this reconciliation that God is committed to continuing to bring about. And so Paul couldn't be making a stronger point about the role of the church in what he says at the very end of this passage, where he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's referring to Jesus. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The church, in other words, is chosen to be a vital part of God's rescue plan for the world. Sequels to films, to classic films, aren't normally that good, are they? A classic film might come out, there's three classic films, all of which were hugely popular and are regarded as real classics. A classic film like those three, The Magnificent Seven, Grease and Shrek, three very different types of films, but all in their different ways regarded as classics. They come out, but then a little bit later, to cash in on their success, a sequel then follows. Those films were all followed by these ones. Now, virtually every time, with significant exceptions, some people think Godfather Part Two is, is better than uh, the original Godfather film, but most of the times, these sequels lack the quality, to put it mildly, of the original. They lack the X factor that that original film had that really grabbed people. And in some ways, the sequels rather spoil those original films. They rather tarnish them. But on this occasion, the imperfection of the sequel is deliberate. Because the church, you and I, are chosen to be the imperfect sequel to the perfect earthly ministry of Jesus. Jesus, through his death and resurrection supremely, came to deal with sin and to reconcile us to God. But then we get Jesus' ascension into heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And through those events, through Jesus' ascension into heaven, which, as I've said before, is the control center for earth, it enables God's Spirit then to come everywhere, that ongoing task of reconciliation passes to whom? It passes to these people, the church, you and I. We are appointed, when we join the church, to be Christ's ambassadors. The book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, as it's called in the New Testament, is a sequel. It's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do after his ascension into heaven through the church and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that work wasn't intended to cease after 30 years of the Acts of the Apostles, the early church. It's intended to continue through us within the church today. The church, to repeat, is chosen, but not for privilege so much as the awesome responsibility of being the righteousness of God, being Christ's ambassadors entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And just as the people of Israel in the Old Testament, this was in the first reading that David brought to us, just as those people were intended to be a kingdom of priests, so the church is chosen to represent God and his rescuing love for the world. We're back, aren't we, to the nervousness that comes from being chosen. Sometimes it's rather horrible not to be chosen, sometimes it's rather nervy to be chosen. 
And we are chosen by God for this awesome responsibility. And it can be intimidating. We can be intimidated by the responsibility and the scale of the task. So what can help us in this calling? Well, I think it's partly by remembering that point about God calling the church in our imperfection and our weakness. It's one of the big themes of 2 Corinthians. In fact, it is the big theme of 2 Corinthians, which is why it's such an important letter, a much neglected letter in the New Testament, but a vital one. Paul has to defend his ministry, and what Paul does is to show that God most powerfully reveals his power through human weakness. So he says this in lots of ways in his second letter to the Corinthian church, but one of the most powerful is when he uses this image, the image of Christians having treasure in jars of clay. And what Paul says is that it's in our very weakness, our brokenness, our lack of impressiveness, that God's power can be most displayed. Now imagine with those jars of clay, imagine if they weren't jars of clay, they were encrusted with rubies and sapphires and precious stones and they were made of gold and silver. There wouldn't be nearly so much attention on what they contain. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians is that God has very deliberately, he hasn't made a mistake on this, he's very deliberately put his treasure in jars of clay. And we're the jars of clay. Our very imperfections, in other words, the very things about us that are unimpressive, those very things are what allow God's perfect love to be revealed most clearly to the world. So in what ways can we, little old us, be ministers of reconciliation? Imploring the world to be reconciled to God. Is this the way? Should we go out this afternoon and uh, buy or make a sandwich board and put uh, repent lest ye perish on it and walk around the neighbourhood? It's one option. Well, I don't really believe uh, that is what we're being called to do in that manner. There might be some who occasionally are called to do that. But I think we've got to go back to what we heard about a few weeks ago when I talked about the church being the body of Christ and how each one of us are differently gifted for this task. All of us, without exception, are called to be Christ's ambassadors, to be part of that ongoing righteousness of God through the ministry of reconciliation. But the ways in which we do that will be very different. Today is the 31st of October, isn't it? And as well as being the day on which the Reformation began in Germany 504 years ago in 1517, it is also, as you will probably well know, Halloween. Now, as I did last year, later on, when it gets dark, around about five o'clock, because the clocks went uh, back, didn't they, or forward or whatever they do, back, I'll be putting on my surplus, it's the only time it gets worn nowadays, and my blonde wig, and my angel wings, and I'll be going about New Morden giving sweets to any children that I bump into. They're virtually always with their parents, so don't worry about the uh, child protection side of it. And if it's anything like last year, groups of rowdy teenagers that I meet who are rather nonplussed at this weird figure, let me know if your children or grandchildren or whatever would like a visit at your house. I'll make sure they get one. Now, it's not everyone's choice of how to be an ambassador for Christ, is it? Got to be honest. But actually, when I do that, when I strap on my wings, I have to take them off when I get out the car, you know, and put them on as I arrive at people's houses. But as I do that, I'll be praying 
that on a night when the focus is very much on dark stuff, it can be a small part of showing children, and anyone else for that matter, that there is a God of light. There is a God who loves them, who loves them to bits, and who sent Jesus Christ to be their light in the darkness, to be their rescuer. Now, I won't have my little sidekick with me because she's now off at university, so I'll be doing it by myself, but it will be great fun, and I hope part of being an ambassador for Christ with the Ministry of Reconciliation. But I use this example because it's so obviously not one for everyone. But there will be examples for us. You might think when you look at that, it's perhaps too good an example of the God using your vicar's imperfections. But how might God be calling you, quite seriously, to use your gifts, imperfect though they might be, to be Christ's ambassador and a minister of his reconciliation? See, it's not just about sharing our personal faith with someone, although we could do a lot worse than do that, and it can be an important part of it. But the goal of new creation, the way God's going to make everything end up, that reminds us that it includes anything at all that anticipates that future reconciliation of all things that God is committed to bringing about. So being an ambassador for Christ and an agent of his reconciliation it includes things like seeking to bring God's justice to places where that justice at the moment isn't present. Now, that may include global issues. It may include local ones. There may be an act of injustice in our workplace or something like this where we've got to act on that because that will be part of bringing the reconciling, healing love of God to that situation. It may include being a peacemaker in a place where there's conflict. Again, that is part of bringing God's new creation because it's anticipating that peace and that harmony that God will one day bring in its entirety. It very much includes promoting and demonstrating that care for creation that we're more and more aware of being desperately needed. Every time we care for God's creation, when we build a bug hotel, when we are part of caring and steward in the creation that God has given to us, we are being agents of reconciliation because what we're doing is anticipating that future when God will be all in all, when the whole of creation will be reconciled in Jesus Christ. All of those ways, and there are many others, are ways that we can show ourselves to be Christ's ambassadors, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, all of them are ways that we can demonstrate that we, as the church, are part of the ongoing righteousness of God. So what are the practical ways in which we might be being called to do this as a church community and as individuals? Well, we heard uh, last week about the shoebox appeal. I'll just remind you in a few moments in the notices about that. But uh, remember that shoebox appeal where children who won't get anything at Christmas have the chance, because of uh, people within the church overwhelmingly acting, to receive something this Christmas. I'll be saying a little bit about the shoebox appeal in a moment, a reminder about it. But that is a very, very tangible way in which we can demonstrate God's love. We can be Christ's ambassadors. We can be ministers of reconciliation. We can be part of the ongoing righteousness of God. But there are other ways as well. So our lunch club, Grapevine, that starts again here next Sunday. Really excited about this. For over 18 months, it hasn't met because of COVID. 
we are hoping that people come back. Jill has been out inviting lots of people to come, haven't you, Jill? And we hope that people will come into this church, as they have for over a decade now, and receive part of God's reconciling, healing love. The whole vision of Grapevine is that people who don't think or didn't think that this church welcomed them or wanted them, that they actually encounter the loving, healing, welcome of God. And that we as a church act as agents of reconciliation because we can convey the message that yes, they are wanted, that God's love is for them and they're welcome into this community. It's very powerful and important work. And the Saturday after that, we're seeing uh, the relaunch of Half Shares. Now, Half Shares is our group for widows, for women who've lost their husbands. And uh, in normal times, it meets once a month on Tuesday. It's going to kick off with a tea party uh, on uh, the Saturday uh, after next. And again, uh, it's a group which is seeking to be uh, Christ's ambassadors, agents of reconciliation. There actually used to be a group at this church called Ambassadors back in the 1960s. I found uh, during my historical research a little card for Ambassadors. But both of these groups, Grapevine and Half Shares and plenty of our other groups at this church as well, are in different ways trying to bring the reconciling love of God to bring that into people's lives and therefore to see more of God's new creation coming into the world. Those who lead those groups, as I say, are seeking to be Christ's ambassadors and part of the righteousness of God. And if you think you can be part of that work, then speak to me or speak to one of the leaders of those groups. But it's also good as well to think about the opportunities that God's given us as individuals. Primarily, I think God calls us as a church to work together, but there are nonetheless opportunities that we have as individuals as well. So just think for a moment of where you'll be at this time tomorrow morning. Which people will you be with? And what sort of reconciliation do they need to witness or hear about? What place will you be in? And what's the greatest need of that place in terms of being reconciled to the healing love of God? You see, wherever we are, there will be opportunities for us to be Christ's ambassadors, to be ministers of reconciliation. And that's because everyone in the church, every one of us, has been chosen in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, but not the last, might be for the praise of his glory. We're going to turn.